0: Welcome to Black Feminist Rants, where we center conversations on reproductive justice and activism. I am your host, Lakia Williams, and let's begin. Happy Black History Month and welcome back to the Black Youth Sexuality mini-series. In this series, we will be discussing various topics surrounding sexuality, reproductive justice and liberation as experienced and imagined by Black youth. In this episode, we will be talking to the Amaya. Amaya is a youth organizer and model, and she will be discussing the hypersexualization of Black girls and films. Thank you so much to the Epping Foundation and Advocates for Youth for sponsoring the season, and let's jump right into the episode. Thank you so much, Amaya, for joining us for this episode of Black Feminist Rants and for being a Black Youth Storyteller.
1: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to just talk with you for a bit. Of
0: course. <laughs> but for those of y'all who don't know, Amaya was a part of the first BFR team. You were like the comms coordinator, right? Yeah,
1: so I was like a comms coordinator. I worked with like social media and just kind of helped push the information out. (laughs) Right. I know it took me a second to remember because I felt like you did a little bit of everything. Yeah. I feel like in those early stages, we were all kind of just mixing around different things, which was really cool. Yes. I'm so glad to have you back
0: to be a storyteller. So to start us off, can you introduce yourself with your name, your pronouns, and a few words
1: about yourself and the work you do? Okay. So my name is Amaya. I go by she, her and a couple words about the work I do I would say overall I'm just like a youth advocate and a youth activist in the city of New Orleans since I was younger whether it be writing whether it be student council whether it be working with mutual aid whether it be working on the podcast I've done any work in my community I can to push any social justice like any social justice never I've pushed for it And I've tried to incorporate that and specify the importance of youth and youth being at the forefront of that movement, whether it be reproductive justice, adultism, anything, I've always pushed the youth identity first. And so, yeah, that's how I would describe any of the work I do. It's youth oriented, it's Black femme oriented, and it's oriented around the Black youth in the city of New Orleans.
0: I love that. And you also did a lot of great
1: organizing
0: when the pandemic first took off. Can you speak a little bit to that?
1: So when the pandemic first took off, it was me and some other, it was students, it was a mentor and a writing group. We wanted to do something for the city because we were like, yo, the youth here are struggling. When COVID hit, people weren't in school, people weren't working, people were just at home and hungry. And so like, we were like, what tangible effect can we have? So we started with mutual aid, mutual aid, we ordered some like mutual aid books, we read about it, we're like, how can we do this in a sustainable way? And through that, we started fundraising. And after our first fundraising, and this is for the NOLA Black Youth Fund. That is the name of our organization. You can find us on Instagram. But, like, after our first round of fundraising, we realized how much support we had in the city, and we pushed that. And our whole thing is we want to give Black kids money. So that's exactly what we did. Any money we fundraise, we immediately redistributed straight money to youth. And we didn't ask questions. We didn't want people to, like prove that they needed it or like have to trauma dump why they need this money we opened up applications where like if you are black if you were under it was like 23 If you're black if you're under 23 and you need some money reach out to us and we tried to match that as much as we could so yeah we did that at the beginning of pandemic and we're still working on how to keep that sustainable and keep that around and keep that as a resource
0: that is amazing i remember when you applied to be on bfr and i saw that in your application i was like oh my gosh she's <laughs> so young doing amazing work really impactful work
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Of course. So one thing that we always say in the reproductive justice movement is that we all have a story to tell and that reminds us to center our lived experiences. So can you tell us a little bit about your reproductive justice story or a piece of it?
1: So my reproductive justice story to start is like my existence as a young Black femme leaves me in like a dangerous position when it comes to healthcare and just my existence in general. So from youth age, I've been in a system that I've had to navigate and reproductive justice from youth age has been an idea that I've had to navigate. I've always been, I've always worked in social justice. So after working for the podcast, where the whole main focus is reproductive justice, it kind of gave me more, it gave me a better framework for how reproductive justice is entangled with all of these other justice movements and why it is so important that just having control of our bodies and having control of our health as women how much that affects every other aspect of our life and how reproductive justice, while Black women and Black youth are not always at the forefront of that movement, we are the creation, we are the forefront, we are the movement in totality. So after like working for the podcast, it kind of gave me a better idea of that and like how that can affect all of my work in the future. So that is a little bit of that story. Oh my gosh, you're going to make me emotional. <laughs> and the honestly, and, you- like I mean every word of that. After working for the podcast, it, gave, it really did give me a better idea of like, yo, all of these different things have to do with reproductive justice. Whether it be the money I make at the job I work at, or how hard it is for me to just go to a clinic. Whether it be, yo, I'm going to Walgreens, and I don't know the difference between Plan B and this other pill I'm looking at. Like, all of these things and the education around that all pertain directly to reproductive justice and the work that you're doing, and the work that, you know, we're doing together. So, like, that, that gave me a better idea, and a better focus of what that could
0: mean. I love to hear that. I love that you learned that. And for anyone listening, feel free to <laughs> donate to BFR so we can continue to pay young yes. black fibs it's to work crazy. on the podcast. My- <laughs> yes, yes no free labor, labor over here, okay? <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing that piece of your story. And for this episode, you mentioned that you wanted to talk about your experience being hypersexualized as a young black girl. Can you just give us some details about what that experience was like for
1: you? So that experience for me, I guess I will start with saying that I did not grow up in like a restrictive household. I grew up in a very open household and the type of household where my mom was very forward about expressing yourself fully, wearing what you want to wear, doing what you want to do and being yourself and going into spaces fully yourself. So I'll start that there. I'll also say that I grew up in public New Orleans schooling, where there is a strict uniform policy. and. So going into school as uh, as a kid, you know, I'm eight years old, I go to school, I'm getting dress coded for having a, a bra strap showing. I'm going to school and before I'm even greeted during the day, I'm getting my skirt measured to my knee or I'm giving um, I'm given a makeup wipe and told to take my makeup off at 12 years old. You know, so it's like when I think about that idea, and I think about the fact that as an eight-year-old, as a middle school, as whatever, you don't go into school, you don't immediately see your body as a sexual object until you're told it is. And so, when we are immediately, when we're immediately scrutinized and told that our bodies are not acceptable in this form, it's only acceptable in this form. Immediately, we lose all control of our bodies. And for reproductive justice, one of the ways you would define that is giving women the opportunity and the ability to have complete control and autonomy over their bodies. So when you're a child and you are completely stripped of that, which is how it goes, you know, As, as a child, you don't have autonomy over your body. As a black girl, you absolutely have no autonomy over your body. So it's like this idea that like I'm going to school and I'm being told that my body is super sexual in a way that I wouldn't even think about my bra strap does that distract anybody you know I'm wearing a neon pink I'm wearing a neon pink tank top like who does that harm but then immediately I'm like okay if this is not acceptable what else about my body is not acceptable what about what else about the way I present myself is not acceptable and so then we think about like respectability politics and the biggest part of respectability politics is like promoting morality while de-emphasizing sexuality and like while completely contradicting the two because it's like we want to be respected but we're taking away our respect you know what I mean so it's like I feel like being growing up in schooling in that school system and automatically having to like fight a dress code and feel uncomfortable in that way was like some of my first interactions and understanding like reproductive justice from like a bigger a bigger a bigger scale because it's like what about my body is harmful to anybody and what what about the fact that I'm a woman gives you the ability to say that my body is harmful and take that away from me because not being able to wear what I want to wear not being able to put makeup on I want to put on having to change the length of my skirt all of those remove any autonomy I have over my body and how I present myself so that's yeah in schooling I feel like that would be my first that was my first introduction to like what it meant to not have that bodily autonomy. Ooh,
0: that was a (laughs) lot. Um, and I, I never like put two and two together when you talked about this story that, you know, in New Orleans public schools, there's like strict dress code policy. Mm -hmm. So how are we dress coding people? And there's already a dress code policy, but you said so many good things just in your response. I was going to ask about respectability politics. You already brought that up. (laughs) I love that you mentioned that you don't immediately see your body as a sexual form until you're told it is. So you're eight years old, not even thinking about your body as a sexual thing. And then people are sexualizing it grown-ups are sexualizing your eight-year-old body
1: right and it's kind of crazy because it's like it's things you wouldn't even think about like for me putting on makeup was just like a cool new way to express myself and when I say makeup I mean I'm talking mascara and like tinted lip balm like not even anything that would even be distracting you know I'm not playing beauty shop in class which is another thing that's just like why are black women always scrutinized just for doing anything that has to do to beauty, but it's like the idea that me doing that, like you're so hyper-focused on my body that you notice that and immediately want to change that. You immediately want to police me and tell me I can't do that. I, I'm not able to do that. I'm not at the age to do that. At what age do we grant? What age do we get granted that autonomy? What age do I get to put on my own makeup? And then what comes with that? What comes with having that freedom to express yourself and still being policed by everyone around you what does that do to you when it's like you know when you're a kid and you're told you can't wear that you can't do that it's like okay i'm a kid but as an adult when you're told you can't wear that and you can't do that it, you can't accept it with i'm a kid you can't accept it with anything else and always oh, because i'm a black woman that's why i can't do that you know you can't you can't reduce it to anything else so i feel like it's like a painful realization coming into adulthood and understanding the kind of different feelings that comes with the same exact idea and the different ways that plays out i
0: love that you keep bringing up this word autonomy because i feel like a lot of times when we talk about reproductive justice people like focus on the first three tenets which is like around reproduction but Mm -hmm. bodily autonomy is the fourth tenet of reproductive justice and people deserve autonomy over their body and how they express themselves and i love that you keep bringing that to the forefront yes yes
1: yeah, cause like reproductive justice for me is like just the coalition of women, of black women using human rights and social justice framework to like redefine choice. And that is choice in like anything to me. And that's choice of an eight year old girl who wants to wear a little short skirt. That's choice that she deserves to have. You know, that's choice that I deserve to have to wear whatever color bra I want. Because why is an adult looking at that? You know, why is an adult sexualizing my Lisa Frank tank top? Like that's crazy. But it's so normalized that people don't even think about that. And especially when it comes to reproductive justice, we start from this place of like, we, we start talking about teen pregnancy and like sex ed in schools. But I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. whoa! What about the dress code that is sexualizing every child and telling them that their, their knees are a distraction to men or boys, not even men. We're talking about kid on kid crime. Like what about the choice of telling a child that what they're wearing is unacceptable because sexually it's charging somebody else like that's insane and it's really normalized and i feel like it's left out of a lot of the conversations on which reproductive justice starts from the day you're born to the day you die you know what i mean like it's something that is necessary from the moment of conception
0: definitely and even before the moment of conception yeah (laughs) (laughs) yes And I love that you keep bringing up, like obviously we're talking about, this is the Black youth storytelling season and you're talking about your experience as a young person. But I feel like in this episode specifically, you're really harping on just like you were a youth organizer, your experience as a young person. And I feel like a lot of times young people can get overlooked in general and especially in social justice spaces as well. Like we don't really fully recognize how they are one of the most oppressed classes because they don't really have a voice there. It's very common, it's very accepted, it's very normalized for young people to be shut down, to not be listened to, to not be believed. And so I love that you're just like bringing that to the forefront of just like centering young people. And another thing I really appreciate Mm -hmm. is you talking about the over-policing simply in the school system. And I feel like we see so much of the carceral system in our everyday life and like you said you were wearing mascara and lip balm why were they watching you so closely to be able to notice that to speak on it
1: and let me tell you let me tell you it was kind of crazy and this is my probably going to go into another question for later but like I had a teacher she was a black woman and she wasn't an older black woman either she was a younger black woman and I feel like she definitely projected her own respectability politics which you have to understand like black woman a black woman it's like the constant battle we're in, I can see from a point where maybe she's using this as a form of protection, of a form of self-preservation. So her projection and her idea is care. You know what I mean? So it's like, it really, it stems from, it stems from someplace deeper in every aspect. So it's like no hate to her. So I, and I can understand where she was trying to watch out and protect a young black girl in this school system. Now the way she did it, not messing with it but she specifically would bring a Ziploc bag of makeup wipes, micellar water, face wash, face lotion. And it was only her class. She wasn't even like a homeroom teacher. She was like a math teacher. And she specifically would every day go to all the tables to see if any of the girls were wearing makeup, because she said we were too young to wear makeup. This was not the time to focus on beauty, that we were too young to try and change how we look for other people. and that and her way of doing that was kicking you out of class missing missing education to go to the bathroom wash your face take your makeup off and improve it to her by giving you another makeup wipe to then wipe your face in front of the class and her so it's like not only did the respectability politics play it's like this immediate amount of shame that's given to you to be called out in front of everyone so not only is your body policed now your body is shamed in front of everyone because now you are singled out and the focus is on you and the focus is on your body once again, and the focus is on your expression and the focus is on your sexuality and the focus is on being too sexual or, you know? So it's like all of these different things play together, but the ending amount is policing and shame. Like we as black girls from the day we're born are just shoved down our throat policing and shame. Shame for joy, shame for beauty, shame for excitement, shame for showing any form of sexual anything. It's just shame. And so when you add policing and shame and then you grow up and you're continue to be policed and shamed, it's just kind of like, when does the cycle stop? And when does that cycle, like when, when can I step out of the cycle and be like, okay, we're gonna change this. Like, I won't, I won't live this way. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it, it, it was interesting though, to think that like you spent, she spent so much time focusing on, what we were doing. What happened if she maybe focused on like the lesson plan? What happened if maybe, maybe You're she? Funny. Spend- <laughs> no, because honestly, like, what happened if maybe and she spent that time going around and telling us like good things about ourselves and saying oh you know you look really pretty today like you know i like what you did differently today like oh that's a cool way to express yourself like what if we gave that care instead of like the judgmental shame of it what if it was like oh you know kudos to you for stepping out of your box and trying something different rather than don't change for other people and don't express yourself that way like what happened if we just kind of change some of the language we have around these things like what could that do for people i don't know but yeah, that, that was interesting because I just always wondered, how do you have that much time to worry about if I have a little bit of black makeup on my eyes to accentuate my eyelashes?
0: I love that you brought up, because I was going to ask about, because you, you spoke about black women being the one, the main ones policing you in school. But I love that you added the nuance of this person was probably doing this as their expression of love and support maybe not love but like supporting you and just yeah. trying to trying to teach you and kind of like a lot of black people have adopted responsibility politics as a way of survival and as a way of trying to be accepted by society and you know they want that for the younger generation and they're maybe not seeing how it's causing harm so just holding space for like them thinking they're doing the, the, the best yeah. thing for us but like at the same time they're not and, it, and it's yeah. actually causing harm
1: I feel like a lot of like work I've done recently and a lot of like social justice work a lot of mutual aid work is really about not even seeing both sides on like a devil's advocate way but seeing the different manifestations and effect that supremacy and noir has effect so it's like it's so easy to be like yeah she was tripping she was crazy but at the same time I'm like okay like respectability politics has always been a way of self-preservation and a way of like moving up in this world it's always been a way it's always been used as a tactic to be seen as something more tolerable in in different workspaces. So I'm like, I understand how black women, we've we've had to use those respected by the politics to get jobs, to keep jobs, to, to, to get apartments, to get healthcare properly. We've had to always adopt these mindsets. So when I think, like when I can sit down and understand that, I can understand how she just, she needs a little repro justice herself. She, you know, she needs a little, little help herself. She also missed that education. She's also a victim and an effect of what society will do to black women. So it's like, when I can understand that and move with more care in that way, I can also understand the different ways that things need to be changed and like how I can actually change them. Cause now I feel like as an adult, I've seen this woman, you know, like I've seen like she still works at a she still works at the same school. so it's like I feel like as an adult, I could sit down and have this conversation with her and get something out of it because I, I can I can relate to her on a level of understanding what you have to do as a black woman to do anything in this world. So like I I can understand and I try to
0: That's beautiful that you're like willing to offer her that grace, you know, and not just see her as like this villain as this bad guy and just like Mm -hmm. really see her actions for what they were meant to be. And you also you spoke about respectability politics and how, you know, that's the way that like we have to operate in order to succeed. And it's so interesting because that's what white people have told us that we need to do to Mm -hmm. succeed. And it gives us a little bit of wiggle room, but at the end of the day it's still not liberation for us. And I feel like We'll just take that inch because it's necessary. And it's so funny because you said, you know, we Black women will like feed into respectability politics to get this job, to get this apartment. And it's so funny because I'm looking for a new apartment <laughs> and I caught them. Wait, let me tell my story. Let me tell my story. Okay, okay, tell, tell, tell. And I, <laughs> I caught them yesterday. I called a leasing office yesterday. And it's so funny how I turn on like the code switching or this, whatever you want to call it to present myself in a certain way because I already know like when they and it's specifically after they ask for my name and I tell them my name is Lakia like I already know that they know that I'm a black person and I feel like I have to overperform in a way so that they think that I'm like you know good enough to live in like this quote-unquote luxury apartment and I feel like that happens so many times without even realizing so we can say like you know we're trying to like separate ourselves from respectability politics but it's it is very difficult to and it's there's also so much to be lost if you don't well there's so much you could perceive to lose if you don't um subscribe to respectability politics
1: that is so real and it's funny because like i speak on respectability politics so much and just like you say, it still plays out in my everyday life let me tell you, this is actually just a goofy moment but like i had an interview online like it was a zoom interview and my hair wasn't done so it like my hair wasn't done it was just in a little little puff you know i got some horsey kinky curly hair I literally was like, all right, let me let me throw this straight wig on real quick. It looked lumpy, it looked terrible, and I sat there and I was like, Girl, if you literally just took your hair out, it would look so much better. And as soon as I started the interview, it was another black woman with natural hair, and I was like, I just sat here and had this whole like mental breakdown over my hair. Why is that? Like, and not even a, not even a real question. Why is that? Because I know why that is. But it's like even from someone that i feel like i've done this work on myself i've read the books i've read the articles i've i've been i've been intellectualized the feelings like all of these things but at the end of the day that shame and like that policing that was so ingrained as a child and ingrained in everyday life i mean it's reinforced every single day but like all of that it still sits there and i see the way that that manifests every single day so it's kind of just like Part of me is like, how could I even have this conversation when I'm still affected by it? But I don't know. I just think it's interesting how like respectability politics like tells us to cover up, conceal, and hide our bodies. But like And our personalities. And our personalities. And everything. We'll just hide anything that make us a person. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like like as black girls, our bodies are inherently seen as immoral. And so it's like feels like we're always fighting a losing battle. Like. Because it's like no matter and like you said, it's like only to get an inch because like the you know the code switching to this will only get you so far. but at the end of the day, you're still gonna be a black woman and you're still gonna be seen as one. yeah, I, it's 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 interesting though how I still see that shit manifest myself. and I'm like, girl, you know, you know you don't need to do this. you know why you're doing it. But that little voice in the back of your head is still telling you, nah, that that's not professional hair, that's not glammed up hair, that's not that's not a birthday hairstyle. Like, oh, those braids aren't gonna be seen well. And it's like, just something as hair, not even getting into how we act, what we wear, the uh, uh, like, all of these different things. It's just like, dang, like y'all really got in our heads, bad. Like, and but it sucks though because it's like wanting to defile you and defocus all those things. Like you said we can lose a lot. We can lose those jobs. We can lose those apartments. We can lose those opportunities based on how we're perceived. So it's like, as much as easy it is to say, Fuck, like, forget all of that. Like, let's not mess with that. Like, I'm gonna show up as my true authentic self everywhere I go. It's like, ah, Yes, but at the same time, will this harm me? <laughs> like it's like that right. constant tug which I feel is just a lot of like black girlhood is this constant tug of like wanting to be your true self, but then also being like, "Well, is this going to cause a problem?" Or back to schooling, am I going to get in trouble for being authentic to myself? Am I going to get in trouble for presenting myself how I want to, like that question alone, this idea that we can actually get tangible trouble because I, I tangibly did get suspended for not adhering to the dress code. I definitely did get suspended. I I was written up. I did decide not to go back to class when I refused to take my makeup off. Like I did, I did those things and I did get punished for it. So it's like, wow, I tangibly got punishment that it was written on a piece of paper for just expressing myself and that's a crazy thought to think about. And so when we think about like respectability politics, I'm like, how far does that that really extend? And like, what are the repercussions of that? And as children, how are we shown what those repercussions are? Because as a child, I could get written up. Right now, I couldn't get written up. But that's still that that anxious feeling, that feeling of like, what is my punishment? What's gonna happen because of this is still real and it's still there. And like, that's just another way that they enforce that in your head when you're a kid.
0: Okay, so you said you were denied bodily autonomy because of the hypersexualization mm. you experienced in the schools then when you said no i'm not going to allow this to happen anymore and you stood up for yourself and you stood in your power then you were suspended yes damn so yeah. what are we teaching young black girls what are they we teaching don't them? have control mm-hmm. over themselves and their self-expression and then when they try to step into their power they're going to be penalized mm-hmm. and then also just knowing the history of the high rates of like suspension and what's it called when you get kicked out of school permanently expo- exposure yeah. for black girls it's really high it creates a cycle go to po- prison pipeline mm-hmm. and all of that just starting that whole thing over some mascara
1: over mascara and that's what i'm like so that's when i was sitting here and i was like okay reproductive justice like how how does reproductive justice affect me i'm not someone that is currently like in the healthcare system with child, I'm not dealing with anything on that forefront, which I feel like growing up was always what, like when you think reproductive, you just think childbirth, like you just you think, you think that that's what I've always thought of reproductive justice to be. So like sitting down like, okay, in what ways has me being a black woman, a black femme, in what ways has that affected me? And I was like, huh, I did get in a lot of trouble in school just for how I express myself huh that does mean that i was getting in trouble and like didn't have any bodily autonomy if that's what i was getting in trouble for huh reproductive justice does it 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 is about bodily autonomy and the choice to just do what the fuck you want and like having that removed from you and so yeah but like a quick story time so when i was younger i this is when i say younger this is middle school at this point this is like this is fourth grade, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Um, I was like, a dress code is ridiculous. I'm from New York, so like, if you weren't in private school, I didn't grow up, grow up around seeing a whole bunch of people in dress codes and in uniforms. And so I was just like, what? Like, what do you what do you mean you can measure my skirt? I thought it was crazy. So at the time, I came from a household that pushed for me to always express myself. So if that meant that I wasn't okay with the dress code, my mother wanted me to express that. So at the time I did, a, ah, what's it called when a whole bunch of people like sign the paper when you're getting petition. Something? A petition. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that was my favorite little middle school word, a petition. I thought I was so, I thought I was really doing something. I printed up maybe 10 pages of this petition to withdraw the dress code and withdraw the uniform. And I went to school super early for like morning breakfast and I stood outside by myself and I asked parents to sign this. It Oh, you're smart. You went to the parents. <laughs> I went to the parents. I was like, you know what? Administration obviously isn't going to do anything. I want, I want the parents on my side. Because I figured, you know, not even I figured. I know that they don't listen to students. They don't want to hear students' voice. They, like, our voice really doesn't matter. I knew that from young. So I was like, all right, I need the parents. Now... The parents weren't really messing with me. The parents, I maybe got three signatures, real embarrassed, real tired. Like, I was like, Do you not care that they're measuring our skirts instead of like talking to us about schoolwork and grades? I was like, Does no one care about this? And that is what ultimately led to me getting suspended. They told me if I ever do that again, I was going to get suspended. And I called their bluff and I did get suspended. <laughs> So you got suspended for trying to start a petition? Yeah, I got suspended for doing a petition, for for the petition and for, I think the main thing on the petition that was like, it was like, you needed to buy the school jacket and I just had like a black jacket and I was like, I I can't buy the school jacket right now. And so I was wearing the black jacket, I was upset about them measuring skirts, I was upset about them like not wanting any white on shoes, they wanted like... They needed it to be completely black like i couldn't wear converse i was like i don't i'm not i don't want to buy shoes for this like we don't have the money for this so it was like all these different things in one like not even just the sh- part about measuring skirts like it was it was the uniform jacket it was the undershirt your undershirt had to be nude black or nude or black and i was like if i want a pink undershirt I, I, why can't i have that because we had like a white button down so it's like all these things in totality but i was cold so i had a jacket on and they were like take that jacket off like this petition is getting ridiculous you're 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 talking against authority you have like they said i had like authoritative it's a whole it's a was it insubordinate a- they they didn't use that word specifically okay. they that's the one that, use that used for me oh no <laughs> that's the word i got bad girl no way I, that, that's a crazy word to use for a child it's a, like come on this is not military. like in six it was like sixth grade too yeah like crazy like that's a crazy thing to tell a child and now that i'm not that anymore i'm just like yo y'all talk to kids crazy and then wonder when they rebel when they act up wait you
0: know what's funny the insubordinate hmm.
1: thing the thing
0: that popped it off was because i wore a tank top that had lace in the back but i had a i had a t-shirt under it
1: so it was just like it was lace, but there was a white t-shirt. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? No, literally the exact same. I wore this Lisa Frank like pink, or it was Justice actually. It was a Justice pink tank top that had lace, and like we had a white button-down shirt. So you you could see it from like the back. And they lost their stuff about it. I mean, it was it was completely unacceptable. It was a distraction. It was I mean, at one point my teacher did say they were like, I don't know if you're trying to like show off for the boys, but like they're not gonna care about stuff like that. And I was like, girl, I don't got nothing to show them. <laughs> Let's start there. There's nothing to show. Also, this is just a tank top. So again, that hypersexualization. why are you assuming that any of my actions or decisions have anything to do with any of the boys in the mm. class? Why would you even put that idea in my head? Cause I never right. thought that. So why are you thinking that? Why are you assuming that my tank top sexually does anything for anybody. Like, so it was just like all these different things that I was just really sitting there. My little fourth grade, fifth grade self was sitting at the table, upset, angsty, and mad. I was like, this isn't right. I won't stand for this. <laughs> no, I'm not trying to be
0: like a conspiracy theorist or anything, but like they denied you bodily autonomy. You what? got upset. You stood in your power. You took action. They suspend you like
1: this this feels like they were getting you prepared for how the real world is and, and they like- did and they did i will give i will give it that like having that constant battle with the school so when i tell you like i went another little context for the story i went to the same school from second grade to eighth grade for all six of those years i was around the same administration it was a very small school so the same administration the same kids the same parents everyone knew everyone at my school it wasn't a school like upwards i think we had maybe 200 300 students in the beginning like that was it so it was like it was a very small school so everyone knew everything that was going on so it was definitely it felt like a true battle against it was a battle uphill against the school for my entire my entire schooling from middle school because in high school the battle still kept going because I joined like student government so it was just kind of like the battle never really ended with schooling but it definitely gave me it gave me a drive for social justice it gave me it gave me a mind frame like I was like okay I understand now that this shit is unacceptable. And so from then on, once I realized that and like, it's easy for me to say because I had the support at home to do that. But like a lot of kids, if they get in trouble at school, they go home and tell their mom and mom's like, well, what did you do wrong? What 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 did you do? Did you, you gonna make me come to the school and, and, and do something with you. Like it's like so it's like I thankfully never had that. I would go home and be like mom they 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 just measure my skirt and she's like who's touching my baby why are they measuring your skirt if i sent you in that skirt then obviously i wanted you to wear it that's it why are they because she she my mother took them questioning me as them questioning her Mm. but she let me be the one to handle that because she was like well they questioned you so you need to answer them but them doing anything against you them questioning any decision you make and wearing makeup is them questioning my parenting And so like I'm forever thankful that I had that. Like I having that confidence from home is what boosted me as a little fifth grader to go stand in front of school, asking parents to sign this when they're trying to get to work. Like it was, it was it was her support that gave me that confidence and still now has helped me as a youth advocate because it's like I know a lot of a lot of youth don't have that. So I wanna give that. That's why when I say I preface youth in anything I do, I really, really do. Because it's the youth that don't have that support. It's the youth that have to go home and still get belittled about their feelings. They're getting it from home. They're getting it from work. They're getting it from school. On all fronts, we're just not taken serious. So it's like when I I do any work, I want to work with youth. I want to work for youth. I want to work, like, I want to work just, I want to work with youth in general because I'm like, we are the ones that aren't being taken serious in most other capacities.
0: Okay, so you brought up your mom a couple of times. I really wanna talk about what it was like having, cause you all positive things, like she was supportive, she really instilled confidence in you, told you to stand up for yourself. Can you mm-hmm. talk to the experience of just having a really supportive mom there to back you up?
1: Yes, so my mom, Soraya Jean-Louis, I'm going to say her full name. She's an artist. Follow her on Instagram, Ancestral Alchemy Arts. You know, she's out here in the streets. But anyways, (laughs) my mom, I don't even, I I love her today, obviously. But like my mom, she's a queer womanist artist, conjurer, doula, and like overall healer. So I'm gonna preface with that one sentence, she- Nothing else needs to be said. (laughs) She is all of those things and raised me with all of those things. So like, I was raised in a queer household. Like I never, it was never a question of like, do I need to come out? Like mom, I think I might like girl. Like nah, she do too. Like it was never, that was never a problem. It was never an issue of like, mom, what is sex? We were having those conversations when I was four. Like, you know what I mean? So it was like, I, I didn't, and when it, so I didn't come from a restrictive household. And when it came to information, I didn't come from a household was like, "Oh, you're not old enough for that." It was always, "If you're old enough to ask the question, if you're old enough to see this shit in media, if you're old enough to go to the store and be followed around when you're like you're stealing at five, you're old enough to start to understand why those things happen." And I so I love like, that
0: if-, if you're old enough to ask, you're old enough to know. Yeah, maybe literally. you don't get the
1: full answer with all the details
0: right. and the intricacies, but you're old enough to know.
1: You're old enough to know. So like mm. withholding information or like keeping me from reading certain books, all of those things. She she never did it. Cause she was like, as a black girl, you are gonna be thrown in a lot of things that you are not ready for, that you are not of age for. So why would we restrict you at home and leave you powerless in those situations? She never wanted me to be powerless. Like knowledge was like, yo, if you don't know, you're not gonna know what to do. So you need to know. And like that that was always what I that was the, always the preface, but it was also Like, you can't react to these challenges expecting anyone to help you or to, like, answer these for you. So when I'm getting in trouble at school, she's like, yo, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to say? Like, what are you going to do? You got suspended? Okay, so when you go back, who are you going to talk to about why that wasn't okay? That was kind of also always the undertone. Because, like, we love you. We support you. I'm here to do anything you need me to do. And, like, she would always be ready to have that conversation if I wasn't. But it was also, like but since you do have the knowledge since you were the one to ask the questions since you have learned about these things you also need to be the ones to use that and speak on it so that those like were all the different undertones i had growing up and in any way i had conflict in school she was always on my side always it didn't matter that is so
0: important it is to know so you important. have someone that's going
1: to support you regardless and I would think that that's really the only reason why I felt so comfortable to have these conversations to say these things or to even like to even go back down to feel the confidence in how I was feeling. because I'm like like this conversation of like policing and dress codes and all that, this is something where across America, across the fucking world, everyone has dealt with this, but I feel like not enough people have been told that that's not okay. So it's like having her on my side and like having that confidence in how I felt and like having an adult to tell me like, yeah, you're right, That's not cool that she wanted to take your makeup off. Like just having that was enough to really get me going. And so like when I talk to a lot of youth that I work with, they're telling me these bad things that happen at school and these racist teachers, and I'm like, okay like what happened at home and they were like yeah they just said it to like i keep it pushing like that's what adults do like that's that's my teacher like i have to listen i'm like oh okay so that's why you don't really feel like you were wrong that's why you don't really feel like you actually deserve to have more of a voice than that because you you don't have that support elsewhere and so that alone like her support is probably the biggest impact on me having any confidence to do any type of like activism, social justice youth work, having that support because like we talked about when you are young you do you're not respected emotionally you're not respected physically you're not respected. intellectually you are deaf you're not even looked at intellectually if you're you know if you're not of like academia age, you're not even seen as having anything important to say so her support and like always having those open conversations about race, gender, sex and the intersectionality of all of them like always having that as an open flowing conversation was like detrimental and super important to just my mental health like i felt like i felt like i was going crazy in school a bit like that uh, always having that battle with just like everyone around me like i couldn't even like focusing on education but also focusing on every other aspect of just what that entails was rough but like being able to go home and like I would talk to her like I was like yo ma they were crazy today they were playing me today like yo ma they dragged it like this teacher like she, the thing she was saying was just wrong like I wanted to get up and leave her class like this can't be what they're teaching me this can't be the education I receive and she would be like yeah I hear you that was wrong Let, let's talk about it let's talk about the ways this lesson could have been right and so yeah that having her support and like her knowledge and getting that knowledge firsthand like not having to like go read through like academic articles and google translate every word like just having like just black woman to black woman having a conversation about yeah they are policing your body in a way that is completely unacceptable like yeah that was racism you experienced when in gym class you were told that your shorts were too high just because you had a butt like That was that was sexism like that was sexism when in school a classmate was doing jumping jacks and they told her to do a different exercise because it was it was distracting because she had bigger boobs. And I and and we're in middle school and this is a black coach telling her that this is a black male coach telling her like, oh, actually, you do this modified version of the exercise because it was too much to see her jump around and just experience life in her body. Teaching you to have shame
0: in your body.
1: Exactly. The shame that is ingrained and ingrained, and grained over and over and over again. It's like we live our life in shame. And so you add shame, you add and sex. Yeah, I, I want to say something. Gender. As a black girl that just got a
0: rest reduction this past June, yeah. I had so much shame by myself. I did not need anybody to add to that. So I can only imagine like for this thing. for this young person in middle school experiencing that. And I feel like the coach was exposing himself because you seem to be the only
1: one bothered literally and that, and that's what I'm saying so now I'm when you're a kid you hear that and it's just like man fuck that coach like he's a jerk but it's like wait a minute <laughs> not just a jerk also pedophilia like it is more than just it's so much more than that and when you're a kid like even then I was able to to understand some things but some things I couldn't I just thought he was being a jerk and I'm like oh, your body is fine like do those jumping jacks but now I'm like wait there's it's a lot worse than that and like also when we talk about hypersexualization what your body actually looks like plays such a big part like when it, in the same way we talk about colorism just bodyism like i grew up i was i've always been a small petite black girl my best friend was a bigger fuller black girl the way that they policed her body the way she was told not to wear gym shorts the way her her school pants were too tight the way her sports bra for gym class was too low cut just because she had boobs when they gave us all the same exact sports bra it's like it's like those things i can see and like i don't experience those because body-wise i don't i don't have that but i'm like Wow. So we, there's even levels to how we're hypersexualized. Right. And so <laughs> for you
0: as a petite person that doesn't experience this, they're modeling you, for you how to release other
1: people's bodies now. Exactly. Because now I, I could grow up to be a teacher that's saying the same thing. Yeah, girl, you can't wear that th- those shorts. You know how these boys are. Like, no, I don't. No, I, I don't.
0: <laughs> okay, I want to circle back to your mom really yeah. quickly. When you were talking, I was fighting back tears. That was... Beautiful, and I feel like a lot of times black moms get a bad rep from every part of society from black men, sometimes kids, from media. We have so many just like stereotypes about black mothers and, and, and just archetypes. And so, just you talking in just like a loving way of just how your mom has supported you and been there for you and really impacted your life is so amazing. And I love that your school not I don't love this part but your school really prepares you for the the real world in that you know whenever you have you feel like you're being ostracized or being policed for something, they're gonna shut you down. They're not gonna allow you to stand in your power. And then your mom is showing you how to combat that. She's preparing you for the real world. She's giving you the tools. She's allowing you to express yourself and to ask questions and really feeding into questions. And I feel like that's one of the most impactful things for black girls, at least in my experience. And I feel like you're reflecting this is that when you're, when you have a lot of questions, when you, when you talk a lot, you're very opinionated, having parents that like feed into that, who answer your questions, who don't shut you down, who don't tell you you're talking too much, who will let you talk and rant about things that you care about, who, you know, will let you ask all the questions I feel like that's a really impactful thing in like teaching young black girls that their voice matters and they they're allowed to take up space.
1: A hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent. I have the best mother. Like our relationship literally is like it's like friend and it's it's like friend and friend. You know, if she hears me say this, but like, I'm not your little friend, no. But yeah like it's like friend and friend in the way that like emotional respect has always been a thing and i feel like i i I start to think about the ways i see the relationships of parents of my friends like how where where it doesn't work and like where i feel like it's struggling and it always really comes down to just like the respect and the respect of autonomy and emotional respect like i just feel like a lot of a lot of the parents i see i'm like yo but like you're not listening to your kid you're not respecting the emotions of your kid you're trying to like intellectualize and debunk the emotions but you're not trying to just let them feel and like accept that and so when I was talking to my mom I was like you always let me feel you always you always just let you like you always solidified that my emotions were true whether you agreed, whether you fully understand you always solidified that like how I felt mattered and was real and like that is super important to me and like going forth that's how I move in any social justice work I do I'm like I always want to affirm first before anything else affirm your emotions are real how you feel is real the the effects of what you feel are real like the effects of whatever you had to deal with as a child is real and that shit is going to manifest itself in every form of your life now and like that's okay and so the like the lessons I learned from her really do inform the social justice work I do now and how I move around the world now
0: that was beautiful and I love that you said she always let me feel Mm. even if even if your feeling is because you misinterpreted what someone else said like you still have that feeling you're still gonna have that impact of that feeling and just honoring that and being able to feel that emotion right That's beautiful. And like,
1: don't get me wrong, in school, I would definitely have little attitude. I would definitely talk back. (sighs) Mm -hmm. So like I would go to her and she would be like, Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. She'd be like, That's valid. They shouldn't have come at you like that. Like that was that wasn't okay for them to do that. And then she'd be like, But wait, let's let's take it inward you had an attitude with who (laughs) you 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 were disrespectful to who like like do we do we do we understand that the only way we're going to be heard and i actually let me let me take that back she would never say that the only way we're going to be heard is through respect but like she would definitely be like like if we want to convey how we feel in a way that will be heard or respected in like that type of administration in that type of way we need to be able to communicate that properly so it's like you being angry and showing your anger, in that setting, will only get you so far. But if you can put the words behind it, they can't dismiss it just through you being a little angry black girl. And, and that's not to say that you can't be a little angry black girl, there's anything wrong with that. That's just to say that she would definitely try and help me like talk through how I was feeling so that I could always have a rebuttal. So that I could always say, no, 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 you're not gonna disregard me off the off the fact that you just don't care about how I feel. Like I would always have some reasons to back shit up. And so I feel like that also kind of helps me moving like moving through the social justice world, a lot of the times they want you to play these trauma games. They want you they want you to dispel your whole life story.
0: So, this has been a great conversation. We went from hypersexualization and I knew I wanted to ask you about your mom and the positive impact she had on you, but I was honestly fighting back tears over here. Like that was so beautiful. I'm really <laughs> glad you had that experience and shout out to your mom. Um, I'm gonna put all her information, her yes. social media in the description so people can check her out. you, I love you, mom. Oh, <laughs> I love you too. I don't even know you and I'm loving you. <laughs> How would you like to change the narrative around young black girls and self expression?
1: So many different ways. I would like to start with the narrative of, like, yo, you are heard and you are seen. There is nothing wrong with your body. Like, there is nothing wrong with how you express yourself. There's nothing wrong with being sexual. There's nothing wrong with not being sexual. I feel like every which way we're scrutinized and, and, and controlled, there's nothing wrong with how ever you want to express yourself. So, like, that would be the first narrative. I'm like, there is no growing up fast. There is there is no being fast. There is no being grown when it comes to how you express yourself. And that would definitely be the first thing. Because I'm like, I just, how normalized is that? Oh, yeah, she was wearing red red nail polish. She is fast. Oh, she's wearing a tank top and shorts in the house. That girl is grown and fast. That is, I want to just first start with dispel that. Because we may think it's cute and funny in the moment. And then you grow up and you're like, why did I never wear red nail polish why did I find it weird to wear shorts at home like why don't I feel comfortable wearing shorts and skirts outside the house anymore like so I would that would be the first thing like you and your body and how you express that and how you live in it is your own own experience fully and all parts of that are okay I also want to like I want to I want but I want black girls to release all the shame we have around our bodies and the shame around how we use them and the shame around how we're sexual or not sexual like I want us to really think about shame and how the shame is like connected to our bodies ingrained mentally like how we've internalized it because like it's so easy for me to be like yeah I do not feel shame around my body i I do things in totality. And then I go home and sit at home and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have posted that pic. Like that was a bit scandalous. Like that was a bit too much. So it's like, I want us to really sit with shame in ourselves and how we put shame on ourselves. Like regardless of how the outside world puts it on us, how do we internalize it? And how do we take that in every day? I also would like to change the narrative that we, we can't stick up for ourselves. You know, in schooling, i you know i stuck up for myself no matter what whether i was because at the time i was never really reassured outside of my mom i was never reassured that what i was saying was right okay or any of that it was always in school like you talk too much you, you go against authority you don't know how to take direction you don't listen you have a bad attitude all of those things and so if you're you're constantly told that you go into life thinking that like damn i just got a bad attitude like i don't like teachers i don't like authority i don't like class i don't like school That's not true. I don't like extreme prejudice discipline. I don't like my body being policed in every way the minute I walk through the door. I don't like being disrespected by adults simply because I'm a child. Like, let's let's reframe the narrative around what we're told and what the actuality of the truth is. Because all those things that I was being told were not my truth, but they were being told to me as if they were. So it's like, I feel like that would be one of the biggest narratives I want to change Think about all of the ways you have been policed in your life and all the ways you've internalized those things that have been said about you and sit with the truth of it. Were you fast or were you just hot? <laughs> were, were you being grown or were you just coming of age and learning new things about yourself? Were you being hypersexual or were you just learning what the fuck sex was? Like, There's just all these different things that I'm like, if I just reframe the narrative narrative of it to be in my favor and to actually be like authentic to my truth there's nothing wrong with it all these things i've learned to feel shame for there's nothing wrong with it so i feel like those would be the main narratives you cannot be fast you are not being grown your body is okay however you want to express it is okay there's nothing wrong with being interested in sexuality and exploring that at any age there's just nothing wrong with a lot of the things that they tell us is wrong so like sit with that and think about that you're giving me a lot to reflect
0: on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
1: sitting here thinking, and like a lot of the things that you're
0: saying, like it's so interesting because you you talk about the bad attitude, the all the other stuff, and I'm like, that's literally all the things I was told to. And it's like, yeah. do they just tell that to black girls that just aren't like?
1: I think so. Yeah. If you, if you are not, if you are not in the corner with your nice respectability politics wrapped up with with the perfect uniform on that's iron and crisp and directly below your knee. And if you're not yes, ma'am, in every single word, oh, you have an attitude. Oh, you don't like you don't like school for real. You you don't want to learn. You're not here to learn. You're here to play around. You're a class clown. This is beauty school to you. Oh, you don't care about your education because you want to put some lip gloss on you. You know, it's like why why can we conflate these two things to be such a big deal when it never it was, it was never that serious. It was never that serious. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm definitely and taking time now just coming into adulthood. I'm like okay. I have a lot to unlearn and unwork, and a lot of things that I don't want to pass on to my future children, or I don't want to pass on to the girls, because there are definitely be moments where I'm like, I see someone young, and I'm like, ooh, is she wearing that? And I'm like, wait, why the fuck do I care? (laughs) What what does that do to me? (laughs) Like, Like, even my like little cousin, I'm like, girl, you are too young for that. And I'm like. Is she, though? Or is the whole society too young for not making that acceptable for her to do? Like, why is her wearing short shorts actually a problem? It's only a problem from predators that are sexualizing her. So it's like, it's not her, it's them. And I need to always put the blame on them and never put the blame on her. So it's like, in any scenario, I want Black women to really think about it and be like, is the blame on them or is the blame on me? We don't do no wrong, so the blame is never on us.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I wanna end on a positive note. So in addition to all the amazing things that you do as an organizer and a youth advocate, you're also a model, which is very interesting because that has a lot to do with self-image. So do you feel like that has had any impact on the work that you do now from being hypersexualized and having your image and your self-expression policed when you were a younger adult, younger
1: child? For sure. I feel like modeling not only gave me a lot of confidence in my like self-image and how I present myself, but it also gave me the opportunity to completely create that narrative myself. And now, and I will say all of these as like a double-edged sword because a lot of modeling is without my, like without my decision, a lot of and without my consent on like what the act, what is actually being modeled. But I personally do a lot of creative shoots for myself, and I also like creative direct and style. So there are a lot of times for jobs I am able to be the one to style myself. My hair, my makeup, my clothing, to like work with the director on like how I want to be perceived on camera. So like that gave me the opportunity to write the story myself. like, what, whatever, whatever I'm wearing however I'm presenting myself however sexual or non-sexual a shoot is down to like what posts I share it's all up to me like recently I shared a post that to me was pretty scandalous you know it was like for me I was like oh this is this is I don't want this to be taken too sexually because it was really a shoot about vulnerability and like I kept those photos for over a year I took those photos last year and just never posted them because I was like ah this is too much like I don't want to be perceived in a super sexual way and then I was like hold on, you're grown, you love these images. It wasn't meant to be sexual, but you also can't change how people perceive you. So that don't got nothing to do with me, that's on everybody else. So I shared them and like, I had a really great response to that. And so it definitely gave me the confidence and like, okay, I can can live in my authentic self and like I can take authentic pictures of myself and share them and feel completely happy with it. And no one could police it. No one could tell me what the hell to put on. No one could tell me how to pose in front of the camera. I can do it all myself. So I definitely feel like modeling has like helped me in that way. And also for modeling and like styling and creative directing, I always want Black queer youth to be the forefront of what I'm doing. So if it's myself, I wanna show beauty from the lens of a Black queer woman. And if I'm styling or creative directing a shoot for someone else, I want to show what beauty is for that Black queer person. So it's like it also gave me the like the opportunity to not only make myself comfortable, but make other people comfortable and however they want to present themselves. And the bodily autonomy that goes along with like being able to present myself in whatever way I want and then share that with the world and feel beautiful about it and feel great about it. Yeah, it, it definitely has helped and is definitely given me another framework on like, how does that even affect art in the entertainment industry and all these different things. Like I can see the intersectionality of all these different ideas and how they play out and how I can like navigate through them. You've already touched on this a little bit, but
0: how has joy shown up in your life around self-expression and presentation?
1: I find so much joy and going out in the world being a bad bitch. I find so much joy in feeling and <laughs> feeling beautiful outside. Like I feel so much joy in being able to wear the weirdest, goofiest outfit. And like I have the the confidence to wear it. And to be able to go out and walk around in it, and no one can police that. No one can tell me to take it off. There's so much joy in like being able to like as authentic as authentically as you can. I find a lot of joy in that. And I find a lot of joy in sharing it and like sharing these, these crazy shoot ideas I have with like all this editing and being able to like edit myself into a Barbie doll box. Like I find a lot of joy in being able to do those things. And it kind of feels like a talk with my inner child. Like at one point in time, someone was telling you to take your mascara off. And right now you are putting on super blue mascara with glitter all over your face. And like no one is telling you that. So there is a lot of joy in me and just like, and a lot of self-care and just presenting myself how I want to, getting dolled up and getting dolled up in whatever way I want to get dolled up. Like, I do a lot of shoots with my natural hair and a lot of shoots with curly hair and a lot of shoots with crazy makeup and crazy outfits. And so it's like, I find joy in being able to do that now and having the freedom to do that without any type of policing or any negative feeling. It's just pure confidence and just moving through it. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, it's purely, I want to do this, so I'm going to. And there is no one that could tell me that this isn't okay right now. So yeah, there's a lot of joy and just like freedom in that. I love it. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This was so great. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm just happy to kind of talk, (laughs) just talk about it. Cause like, I just feel like these are things that like, sometimes we don't really even think about like the effects of like our childhood when we talk about our inner child it's not always like the inner traumatized child from like from home life it's sometimes it's the inner traumatized child from school life or the inner traumatized child from like a school dress code like these are all these are all conversations and all nuances we need to think about within ourselves so I'm happy to talk about it (laughs) and hopefully I, I just hope someone listens to this and is like dang I never thought about that that's what I want That's that's what I want from
0: this. Oh, for sure. They're definitely going to have that moment. I already know it. Thank y'all so much for tuning into this episode and for supporting Black Feminist Rants and supporting the Black Youth Sexuality Series. Thank you so much to the Black Youth Storytellers for sharing your wisdom with us. I am constantly in awe at how amazing these people are. Some of them are younger than me. Some of them are my contemporaries. I just have such a good time talking to them and just being in community with other young Black people. When we talk about Black History Month, we're also talking about Black futures and this is the future. And If this is the future, we're in such good hands, so thank y'all so much for supporting. If you enjoyed having Black youth speak about their experience or if you want to see more Black youth working on the podcast, definitely consider donating. Everyone who works with Black Feminist Rants is paid and I can only do that through donations and grants and sponsorships. So, If you are an organization and you want a sponsor, let me know. The information will be in the description. And thank y'all so much and happy Black History Month.